0: You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women all over the country rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about the question a lot of people ask. Is my trauma causing my migraines? Welcome, Mary. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. It's a beautiful morning
1: here. It's kind of, it's a little gray. Like there's not much sunshine out there, but I am a big fan of the storm. I know most migraine people aren't, <laughs> but it looks super pretty and ready to rain. So
0: Oh, awesome. We, we're rainy here this morning too. That's funny. Coincidence.
1: And like we, we all need it, you know? So I'm kind of like, I'm I'm ready to just go out and stand in the rain, go dance in the rain. <laughs> so how's everything going with you?
0: Good. Moving through the summer here. Can't believe how fast it goes.
1: It really does. I'm like, how is it already mid-July? This is not okay.
0: <laughs> so,
1: so with the trauma thing, I'm sitting here going, are we talking about physical trauma or emotional trauma or, you know, big T trauma, little t trauma, all of the things? What are we defining as trauma today?
0: Yeah, great question. So my intention with the word trauma was to talk about trauma that's occurring on the mental and emotional side of us. Not physical trauma like an accident or injury, things like that, but more trauma that's occurring on the mental and emotional side and perhaps even on the spiritual side. Oh, that makes
1: sense. We did talk about head trauma once. If anybody wants to refer back to that, I can put that in the show notes. So
0: yeah, great idea. Yeah, we did do that podcast episode on head injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a physical trauma.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, let's talk about the emotional and spiritual kind.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting, as many people listening, you might be part of our migraine Facebook group called Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar and Dee. But it's interesting, this question, you don't see it come up that frequently in the Facebook group. What do you think, Mary?
1: I would agree. I do. I would think it's hard for people to either be vulnerable enough to post those kinds of things but also connect that to their migraines. I mean, we talked about before that we tend to keep like our physical and emotional selves kind of separated in our heads. So I think it would probably be more challenging or a little more outside the box to think of emotional trauma connected to our migraines
0: yeah i think most of the questions revolve around has you know what experience have people had with a certain medication or a certain natural supplement or a device you know like a cephaly device something like that people asking questions around diets things like that but occasionally we will get a question around this topic but it's not brought up very frequently. And so I really wanted to talk about this on the podcast because it's a very crucial aspect of migraines.
1: So, I mean, does that in your mind, I'm guessing say, yes, there is a connection between emotional, spiritual
0: trauma to our migraines? Absolutely. So when we experience physical symptoms, right? Because when we get a migraine, we're experiencing things Physically, we're experiencing physical pain in our head. We are experiencing dizziness, which is a physical symptom, right? We're experiencing nausea. That's a physical symptom, right? We can feel that in our abdomen. We might be experiencing loose stools, right? It's a physical symptom. So because migraines are so centered around physical symptoms that we're experiencing, doctors natural practitioners, even those of us experiencing those physical symptoms, we assume that the reason for the physical symptoms is something on the physical side of the body. When we experience symptoms that are on the mental and emotional side, so anxiety, we can certainly have physical symptoms with anxiety, but the focus of those symptoms, the the mass of the symptoms, the weight of a symptom like anxiety is on the mental and emotional side. So when we have a symptom that's really heavily focused, where the symptoms are showing up mentally or emotionally, we assume there's something on that mental and emotional side, right, which is kind of a nebulous side to us. But we assume that the anxiety is coming from this mental and emotional aspect of ourselves, because that's where the symptom is focused.
1: I'm so fascinated like by our culture and how we hard line between the two. I just find that so fascinating. Like, I wonder where that started or how that came to be. But I, I don't know if you want to get on that soapbox or down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> I think it's so interesting that we do have that very disconnected perspective on mind and body.
0: Yeah, some people... I was actually a philosophy major in college, so I could actually... <laughs> This could be a whole nother boring podcast episode, but many people trace that back to Rene Descartes, the French philosopher who said, I think, therefore I am. A lot of people trace it back to them, but really you can trace this duality going through Western philosophy to the Greeks, to before the Greeks. It, it's a long standing thread through Western culture, civilization, and different cultures. I'm also a student, particularly of Indian culture, and Indian philosophy and Ayurveda, the native medicine of India. And so there's not that strong a duality within that tradition. So it's interesting. There's different uh, cultures, different uh, philosophical traditions have treated this differently. But in the West, we do have this particular duality concept between the mind and the body.
1: Well, and I think what makes it just so challenging in our minds to, oh my gosh, I have a migraine. There must be something emotionally going on. Like, I don't know all that many people that would go to that conclusion.
0: Yeah, because it's so physical, right? We experience it so physically, not that we don't have anxiety, you know, certainly our mind can go, Oh, no, what about I got something at 3pm today? What if I can't make that what's going to now I'm going to have to, I'm going to be embarrassed if I cancel. I mean, we can definitely have anxiety with a migraine, for sure. Or, or we could have other mental symptoms like brain fog or things like that. But, predominantly, right? The meat of the symptoms, the weight of the symptoms are really on the physical side. And so we assume that there's something physically wrong. And so this drives, again, kind of going back to some of the typical questions we see in the Facebook group, right? This drives a lot of questions around like my pillow. Do I have the right pillow, right? Because if I'm waking up every morning and, you know, my neck hurts and the back of my head hurts, well, what's physically touching my neck and the back of my head, all night long, my pillow. So this is kind of where our mind goes, right? Because our mind is is wired, is designed to figure out why we are in pain so that we can get out of the pain. Stop doing what's causing the pain or avoid the pain or or whatnot. This this is a protective mechanism that the mind activates. And so this gets kicked off when we have a migraine, but the mind is going to focus on physical things causing it. So this is, you know, do I need the right chiropractor? Do I need the right massage therapist? Other physical things, right? So if we take a medication that is altering our physical biochemistry to get rid of the migraine, right? Even if we take a natural substance to get rid of the migraine, that's altering our physical biochemistry to get rid of the migraine. So, you know, if we strap on a cephaly device, that's a physical Physical piece of equipment. We're strapping something physical on to our physical body to alleviate the migraine. So, everything that is typically done, whether it's conventional, quote unquote, alternative medicine, is very, very focused on the physical body, trying to make the physical body right so that we don't get the migraine.
1: Well, and I think going back, just, you know, thinking through many, many episodes we've done, it's probably more accurate, but it's kind of like a a vicious circle of both physical and emotional. Like, the more you're trying to solve your physical problems, that causes more stress, which more, you know what I mean? Like can actually make the migraines worse or vice versa. Like if you're struggling with emotions on some level, even if they're, you know, buried deep down <laughs> and you don't even know this, right? Like then you're going to get more migraines and fight it physically. So I, do, I think it definitely is a, a vicious cycle.
0: So what is actually true is there is not this wall between our physical body and our mental and emotional and spiritual aspect. Everything is totally intermingled. And so we can have physical symptoms, we can feel something physically that's starting on the mental and emotional or spiritual side of us. And we can have mental and emotional symptoms that are starting on the physical side of us. So for example, something that's a physical phenomenon that we can experience pretty significantly on the mental and emotional side is if we have a bout of low blood sugar. If we have a low blood sugar episode, if our blood sugar gets too low, our body goes into fight or flight mode. Because if the blood sugar goes too low and under normal metabolism, our brain is running on glucose. So if the glucose or the sugar level gets too low in the bloodstream, we're going to pass out. The brain isn't going to have enough fuel to function. So if we have a low blood sugar episode, the body goes into fight or flight mode and re- releases adrenaline and cortisol. And when those hormones are in our bloodstream, we can feel like we're having a panic attack. I can definitely attest to that. Exactly. Me too. 100%. Yeah,
1: I get super shaky. And then once that kicks in, I am definitely battling
0: anxiety. For it's sure. Like,
1: oh my gosh, my heart's racing and everything. And then you're like, oh,
0: panic. Exactly. Our heart's racing. We're sweating. We're woozy and doozy and, you know, foggy. And it feels very similar to a panic attack. So, this is something that we are experiencing to a significant degree, mentally and emotionally, that is being caused. By physical hormones and the physiological or biochemical response that our body is having to physical hormones. Yeah, very interesting. So even things like uh, so again, ADD, low blood sugar episode. I mean, you can be real out of body and unfocused, and you know, I can't think clearly. So for children, again, many children are suffering from low blood sugar episodes, and children have no idea right? Because when we're a kid, we think what we feel is just what we're supposed to feel. My poor daughter, when she was five and entering kindergarten, you know, you have to get the eye check to go into kindergarten, eye exam to go into kindergarten. And we had no idea that she couldn't see. Oh no. <laughs> I went into with her to my regular eye doctor because I wear glasses and, and, uh, the eye doctor said, oh, any concerns? I said, oh, no, no concerns. We're just here for the kindergarten eye exam because, you know, she could write and draw and color. I mean, I had no indication uh, that she had a severe astigmatism. So we walked out of there with, uh, <laughs> with a glasses prescription, right? And then when she got them two weeks later and they came in, she was like, wow, because she had no idea that she was looking, you know, that things, right? She just assumed that's how the world was supposed to look like.
1: Yeah, that must have been really interesting for her to have such a huge perspective shift there.
0: (laughs) So, you know, ADD is something I'll get on my soapbox a little bit here. Mary, I hope you don't mind. But, you know, ADD is something that's rampant in children these days. But you can have low blood sugar episodes and not be able to focus. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure, right? So we can definitely experience things on the mental side, right? ADD, right? If we cannot focus, that is a mental symptom. So we can experience symptoms that are very focused on the mental and emotional side that are being generated by physical, biochemical realities in the physical body. There's no barrier there. And then similarly, we can have things that are starting on the mental and emotional side that we're feeling physically. So if we have mental and emotional pain caused by experiences that we have been through, why is it such a stretch to think that we would not have physical pain?
1: I think the one, one thing that we have connected to physical pain is probably stress. As far as emotional, I think it's pretty common for people to go, oh, I'm stressed out. I need to go get a massage because my neck's all, or my shoulders Like that's one thing I do see people connecting physical, emotional, but not very often, very many other physical things are attributed back. I don't know. I don't hear it.
0: Yes, for sure. Because if we, yeah, many people will say, yeah, you know what, if, if I have a conflict with a loved one, I'm very likely to get a migraine, right? It's like the stress of that conflict can be enough of a drain on their vitality or a stress on their vitality that it puts them into their migraine zone. And if you're new to the podcast, check out some of our other podcasts on resiliency and vitality and what I call the third principle. So yes, and we can make that correlation or we can make that connection because it's so immediate. I had the argument and then the next day I had the migraine. It's pretty obvious. The problem is when people experience, if we can use the word trauma, So by this, I mean, if people were, you know, when they were a child, they were in a dysfunctional family environment. And that could be a broad range of things, okay, but just sort of a general dysfunctional family environment that can generate what I would call trauma in this case, okay, and we'll talk about how the trauma is generated or what trauma is more specifically, but I want to kind of lay this out. So this can be generated if people have the experience of being raised in a dysfunctional family. More people can experience things that we typically call trauma. Like perhaps they were sexually abused, physically abused, mentally abused, emotionally abused, right? Typically, culturally, we call those things trauma, right? We say, well, that person has a trauma history. But dysfunctional family background, I think, is important to put into this category.
1: It never occurred to me, like... Years ago, before people started talking about big trauma, T, big T trauma and little T trauma, you know, there could be a difference. Like big T trauma could be, like you said, a major abuse situation. Little T trauma might be more like occasional bullying at school. Both are traumatic, just in different ways and in different, I guess, levels. I don't like comparing traumas, though. (laughs) Overall, I'm like, just because, you know, the old saying, you can drown in two inches of water, just like you can drown in a pool. It doesn't make sense to compare traumas. But I think for this podcast purpose, it's important to point out there's lots of different types of trauma, and they can all affect you, period.
0: (laughs) No, you're right. I have had clients where they were bullied in, you know, junior high, high school, and that has had an impact on their health and is, you know, was part of the reason, not the entire reason, but part of the reason why they were getting migraines. Absolutely.
1: And sometimes little trauma can be just like witnessing somebody else going through something horrific. Like... When I was in my 20s, my ex-husband's family lost a child and I wasn't right in the middle of it because we were getting divorced, but that did leave a significant impact on me for sure. You know what I mean? So there's so many varieties of ways, (laughs)
0: unfortunately. (laughs) And we can experience things that are very traumatic that generate a similar phenomenon in the unconscious. So we can have a loss, right? We can lose a loved one. We could have a severe, you know, a very severe illness, right? So many times people are traumatized because they are a cancer survivor and the treatment for the cancer was so so debilitating, so traumatic in that way. So we can experience sort of under this trauma umbrella, right? There can be things that we typically think of as trauma. Our dysfunctional family dynamics are very important to consider. And then these other life events that happen to us can be, you know, are under that trauma umbrella.
1: When I think back just to 2020 itself, like, (laughs) I guess we are all traumatized on some level from that year. And
0: yes, we certainly are.
1: Yeah. And it's not like for me, I didn't get COVID till 2022. So I didn't personally go through COVID back then, but the whole entire situation was traumatic for all of us. Absolutely. Anyway, we could make a big long list if we wanted to, but (laughs) we'll continue move to the next point.
0: (laughs) So when we experience something under this trauma umbrella, it's not a guarantee that it is going to have a physical impact. It's going to generate physical symptoms. What I have found in my work is that there's sort of something that has to get laid down in the unconscious in order for it to have an impact on our health. And that is we have to develop a false belief due to the trauma due to the occurrence under the trauma umbrella. Now, I'm calling it a false belief, but to us, when it has gotten laid down in our unconscious, it doesn't seem like a false belief to us. It seems like a true belief. And these false beliefs are things that are along common lines. So you can imagine that it would be pretty reasonable for a child growing up in dysfunctional family environment where, let's say, one of the parents was very, very critical and belittling in the criticism, right? Not a constructive criticism environment, but a shaming criticism, a belittling cr- criticism environment. It would be very reasonable, right? We could, we could imagine that that child might develop the false belief that they are inherently defective In some way. And so, to the child that starts to develop this unconscious belief, it's not going to feel false to them. It's going to feel 100% true on an unconscious level.
1: Well, and because it's unconscious, it's not even something you're aware of. And that makes it hard to analyze. So, like, if you have this deep, you know, down in the depths of your soul belief that you're defective, but you don't even know that thought is there, you can't bring it up and say, Oh, that's ridiculous. Of course, I'm not defective because you can't address something that's not conscious. So in there, and there's not a lot of power that you have over it until you can make it more conscious. What is that old philosopher or not? Maybe it was a psychologist that said something about having to bring things conscious before you can, I can't think of how it's worded, but having to bring things conscious before you can actually deal with it.
0: Mm hmm. So let's kind of use this hypothetical child. So they're in this environment. And again, they have a parent that is critical in a belittling and shaming way, not in a constructive way. Because children do have to be criticized. They have to learn how to act in the world, right? They have to learn how to function. So criticism is required for that. But When the criticism is belittling, shaming, there's constructive criticism and unconstructive criticism, right? So again, I I just want to distinguish in this day and age, we're moving towards a fear of criticism or nothing should be criticized, right? And that's out of balance too. Criticism, constructive criticism is required for all of us. We want the criticism to be balanced. We don't want it to be...
1: Yeah, that's the difference between telling the child, you chose to do something bad versus you are bad. It's a big difference. I mean, not that you're saying you're bad, but the message under what you're saying can either be, you just chose something that you shouldn't have chosen, or you're a bad person.
0: (laughs) So we have this child, right, being shamed, belittled, etc. Children always assume that What they are being told is correct right? Uh, Children will always believe the parents, particularly when they're little. Once, you know, there has to be a brain development, a maturity aspect that starts to develop, you know, after puberty in children, where they start to be able to have some more discernment around what their parents are telling them. But when they're little, their default is to believe their parents. And so if the parent is communicating, again, like you say, it may not be even overt specific, but if the parent is subtly even communicating a message, you're defective. There's something wrong with you. The child is going to believe that. Now, how painful is it to think that we are defective? The pain that that thought generates is one of the most profound pains that somebody can experience. We will do whatever it takes to get out of pain. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Our mind is wired, is designed to figure out how to get us out of pain. And so if we have this belief that we are defective in the unconscious, our mind is going to start to drive us to do a lot of things to compensate or counter or try to prove that belief wrong. Now, for Those of us women who are prone to migraines, okay, so it's very interesting, again, if we kind of go with this hypothetical family environment, let's say we've got three kids in the family and they're all exposed to this environment. So one child is going to counter this extraordinarily painful belief by maybe being very, very good at school, a student, right? That would be a great way, right? If I can get A's, then I must not be defective. They might excel at athletics. Well, if I can get on the varsity, team, you know, if I can get the uh, trophies, if I can get on the uh, A team, if I can do this and that, then I can't be defective. And so many of you might relate to this because it's this child that grows up to be prone to migraines. If they're going to be prone to migraines, is this one of the three children in the household that's going to get the migraines.
1: I find that so interesting because if if migraines were a physical only thing, you would think that all three children would be prone to migraines, but where it's also emotional, it's that, like you said, that type A, always trying to improve and never stopping. And the ones that, work hard and have, you know, serve everybody on and on and on, those are the ones who suffer from migraines.
0: Then we have another, and usually it's the oldest that will take, that'll cope with this very, very painful belief that they are defective. It's usually the oldest that will take that tactic, not always, but usually. And then we have the second child coping with this very, very painful belief by fleeing, running away from it if i can get as far away from this belief as possible this will be the child that grows up to be an adult where they're you know we really don't hear that much from them they don't come around
1: that makes me sad
0: But it's a fleeing coping mechanism. And you will see that then as an adult, many times they will be have difficulty, you know, no job is good enough. No relationship is good enough, right? The fleeing coping mechanism, you can see that repeated. Uh, Many times this is the middle child, but again, not always.
1: I have a typical middle child in that he's like the total peacemaker. He's such a like whatever it takes to make everybody happy and peaceful. But I'm, He's not quite in the fleeing, so now I'm a little freaked out. <laughs> well, again, again,
0: <laughs> this is looking at responses to a painful belief in the unconscious.
1: Like this is not. Up. I'm not traumatizing my children. <laughs>
0: right. I don't want to traumatize you, Mary, with this no, conversation. Okay, hold
1: up, people. We gotta pause a second. I need to go do some therapy first. No. I know, right? No, I'm, I'm really just like really thinking through the family order theory and like it is interesting that I like isn't it weird that every family has the peacemaker, every family has a goat the scapegoat, every family has the overachiever, I think. And when you have, you know, more children or less children or even a single child, it's just interesting how that plays out. So, sorry, I always when you talk, I always go into like, oh yeah, that sounds just like one of my kids or.
0: And just to clarify right there, there are personality characteristics that have been shown, you know, more associated with people with different birth order. But this, what I'm talking about really specifically is this response to these painful, unconscious beliefs. But I love you, Mary, because you and I are both moms and we moms, right? We're always thinking like, what have I done to screw up my children? (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, here's
1: the thing. I mean, I studied psychology and I've taught parenting classes for quite a while. and I used to joke with my clients, like, look, we all screw up our kids. It's just on a level of like, how much and in what way, because we're (laughs)
0: human,
1: you know, it's like, no one's getting out of parenting perfectly. No one's getting out of being a parent without having some sort of like, dang, I wish I had done something different. So it's just interesting. Okay. Okay. I'll be quiet now. You talk no, no, about just,
0: and you know, no, I just, No, I'm glad you brought this up. Cause anybody lifting, if you have, you know, if you have a child and the oldest, your oldest child is an overachiever, that does not mean that you have traumatized them. Right. Not that broken is, right. That is a typical characteristic <laughs> of the firstborn. That's why when they have, when they're trying to cope with a very, very painful unconscious belief, if they're the first in the birth order, they they have a tendency towards, towards coping with it in that way, because the firstborn has a tendency in general, the personality type in general is correlated with that. So if you have an overachiever child, it does not necessarily mean that they are struggling with a extraordinarily painful unconscious belief that you are responsible for i'm just we're just going to put that disclaimer (laughs) out there right now
1: yeah let's add more time on the the women who are already struggling
0: right is Is anybody getting a migraine just listening to this right
1: now i'm a bad mom on top of everything else yeah
0: So yeah, so we have that middle child, right? Typically they will flee, okay? They will flee a painful unconscious belief. And then we have the third child in this hypothetical situation. The third child many times will self-destruct. They will make the unconscious belief to be true. And that is, it's a coping mechanism in a way, right? Well, if you think I am, let me show you. It's sort of, it's that type of a coping mechanism with that unconscious belief. It's like, oh, well, you think I'm defective? Let me show you defective. Let me show you how much I'm defective. Yeah, just how (laughs) defective. So that is, that can be another coping mechanism. So for those of us that are prone to migraines, we are typically, if we have an unconscious painful belief. We are the ones that are kind of trying to prove our way out of that unconscious belief. We are the ones that are prone to migraines. And i it's funny, I see this with my clients. You know, I will have clients where, you know, they're the ones getting the migraines. They had, you know, they had a dysfunctional family background and they're the ones getting the migraines. And, you know, I've had many clients say to me, you know, my sister, my younger sister, you know, she's recovering alcoholic. She was in jail, you know, for five years, you know, I mean, just kind kind of like, you know, I'm kind of exaggerating here, but you know, this, this type of thing, right? And she, now she hasn't gotten a migraine a day in her life. And she's, you know, treats her body, <laughs> doing drugs or alcohol or whatever, doesn't take any care of her body or you know, she's doing all, you know, she stole money from my parents, you know, wrote bad checks, you know, what whatever it is, right? And she hasn't had a migraine a day in her life, you know, uh, vice president and I eat organic and, you know, three great children that are excelling in school. And I'm debilitated. It's a pretty common refrain.
1: Yeah, that just is goes to show you, you know, that it isn't something that you're like, like going back to the defective thing, because you're migraines, we do see, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. My thoughts are jumping, but we do see in the group comments like, you know, why am I like this? I feel like I'm broken kind of a thing. You know, you can't be much more of a devoted person and working hard and all of that. And you're still getting migraines. If that doesn't tell you that it's not you you being broken, I don't know what does. Do you know what I mean?
0: Right. It's not something on the physical side, right? People have exhausted every option on the physical side. What does that tell you? It's not being generated on the physical side.
1: Well and I guess my point too is even on the emotional side, you know, you can't say that you're defective because you are doing everything in your power to be an amazing human. But you're still getting things. You know what I'm saying? you like, are not a bad human. There's nothing wrong with you as a person, but there are things to change.
0: Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. So like I say, the, the common general theme that gets laid down in our unconscious when we have experienced something under the trauma umbrella, it's going to be something along the lines of there's something wrong with me. And, you know, it's going to be in that realm. You know, nobody likes me. I'm being teased in middle, middle school. People are, you know, putting slime on my chair. People are, they're making fun of me. They're taunting me. They're telling me, you know, my face is ugly. It's highly reasonable that somebody would pick up a belief on the unconscious level that there's something wrong with them. It's a pretty human thing to do. And so it's in the unconscious. It's very, very painful. It's unbelievably painful. And so then we will try to not feel that pain. We're going to do things. We're going to change our life. We're going to do different things to try to not feel that pain of that belief. But those things do not get rid of the belief. They counter the belief. They oppose the belief. They suppress the belief, but they don't get rid of the belief. I have worked with clients, they have reached the pinnacle of success, professionally, with their family, with their relationships, their achievements, pinnacle of success. You know, I I just never feel like I really deserve this, right? Because if we have something in the unconscious, you know. I'm not worthy, I'm defective, there's something wrong with me, right? It doesn't matter how many trophies we get.
1: Well, And no amount, yeah, no amount of accomplishment is going to prove that wrong in our minds. Like we have to, I guess, I don't even know a good word for it. We have to like recognize that.
0: Well, and to recognize it, we have to confront the pain of it. And not in a re-traumatizing way. When I do this work with my clients, you know, people don't have to break down and cry and relive anything, but we have to actually admit, connect to, realize that the belief is actually there because nobody wants to consciously think that they're unworthy, they're defective, there's something wrong with them. And many times people will say, No, you know, I could see maybe I felt that when I was younger. I don't feel that way anymore. You're a perfectionist. You have anxiety if things are not done. It's like, okay, wait a minute here. And I'm not saying that, I mean, I am subject to the same things, right? I'm not saying this as a criticism, it's a reality. Well, I
1: think, too, when you bring up perfectionism, like we almost wear perfectionism as like a badge of honor. Like, I am a perfectionist that sounds really beautiful. (laughs) The problem is, from my experience and what I've researched and learned about, like being a perfectionist is actually a cover for a lot of insecurities and worries and stress. So if I ever let anyone see me do anything less than perfect, they're going to find out that I'm not as good as they think I am. That's a big load to carry. Big load.
0: Exactly. But this is what the human mind does too, right? You know, other people, they don't care as much as I do. I care so much. So we can, again, this is all to cope with an unconscious belief, right? And so we will, many people will put themselves on a pedestal. Why wouldn't you, right? If you have an unconscious belief that you are defective, unworthy, wouldn't it be pretty reasonable for you to put yourself on a pedestal to try to counter that? You're going to do anything you can not to feel that way. And so people, kind of they're using some of these things, right? In their mind, it kind of puts them on a pedestal. You know, other people don't care as much about me as I do. Other people don't care as much about this work as I do. You know, I used to work in corporate America. This is rampant. And I used to think like this. Well, I, I just care a lot more than other people, right? It was a way for me to kind of put myself on that pedestal. Right. Once I realized this whole dynamic within myself, then when I went into the office, boy, did things look different to me. Right. And I could see other people, right. A lot of inner office politics is other people trying to cut other people down so they can be on the pedestal. Well, why are they doing that? Because they have this some underlying belief in the unconscious that's causing them suffering and pain and they want to counter that right and so then we're being victimized at the office by what we call office politics because other people are suffering deeply from an extremely painful belief in their unconscious and the way out of that is to sabotage us at work and just, just like
1: these types of wounds if like if you're not aware of them there is not any amount of accomplishment or running or drinking that's going to make it better does that make sense like you can't you can't outrun those types of hurts you have to face them unfortunately i would like to be able to skip that myself <laughs> it has to
0: You know, I think in my own experience with my own personal work and my work with my clients. So I have been very afraid in my life to face these types of things within myself. And I have many clients express that to me. I can't wait to work with you, Dr. Leslie. But boy, am I scared. (laughs) What is going to come up? And I relate. I've been there totally. But what I have found in myself and my own journey, walking with other women on their journey is that, once we get there oh is it it's such a relief right to finally confront this boogeyman ghost that has been tormenting us for so long and realizing that it's actually not true we thought it was true so profoundly and so deeply when we do have that courage right to stop the running stop the perfectionistic Behavior, stop the destructive behavior. When we finally have the courage to face it, we realize, oh, this was just a false. this was just false. And then it's it's a wonderful feeling. It's a wonderful feeling when we realize that.
1: you know, and I just in my life, I'm you know, 40-ish. <laughs> I should say 29-ish. but I'm finally realizing that not one human doesn't have something in them. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're not alone. There is not a single human on this planet that isn't struggling. Maybe not today, but at some point in their life, struggling to figure things out, struggling to find their worth, struggling to connect with someone's. We're all doing some sort of struggling. That's being human.
0: We all have false, painful beliefs in our unconscious that feel true to us, that feel very, very true to us but they're actually false.
1: I've been um, studying kind of, it's kind of cheesy, but I love personality theories and like what makes people tick and why they are the way they are. And um, I've been studying the Enneagram. Are you familiar with that at all? I mean, I'm not going to go into it because it's a lot of information, but like every human, there's nine types according to that theory. And it's like every human has a basic fear and a basic motivation. And I'm looking around at myself and everyone around me and I'm like, dang, you can see once you understand, you know, the basic fear and the basic motivation, like you can actually see it in how everybody's playing in life. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, migraine sufferers, we are struggling. We are having a hard time and everything, but it's not just you. You're not alone in this struggle, you know?
0: <laughs> and It's so once we start to get in tune, right, with how these unconscious dynamics play out Consciously, right, in our behavior and our uh, thoughts and our emotions and so on. Yes, once we start to understand this, then we can really start to see it in other people, right? Our friends, our family, coworkers, things like that. But it's so hard to see it in ourselves.
1: (laughs) It's also very painful. Like, (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I've been with that studying I've been doing. It's been like, you know, you see the both sides of the coin, like, oh, this is a really good character trait that I have. And then you see the underbelly of it and you're like "Ah, not loving that part you know but we're all in the same boat like like I said there's nine different personality types according to that one theory and you know I see it in my my son he's uh like for example he's a very outgoing fun exciting always wants to be doing something he's very optimistic in general he's wanting to go out and conquer the world And all of that's beautiful. But I also see that a lot of that is he's avoiding boredom. He's avoiding loneliness or whatever, you know. So Even though he has like these beautiful personality traits, there's also that underside of it where he has to work on, you know, how to deal with boredom, how to deal with loneliness, things. Anyway, I won't keep going. But yeah, we all have the upside and the downside of what we're going through in life, you know. So, that's my soapbox for the day.
0: <laughs> so, when we are harboring when we have these painful unconscious beliefs, how does this impact how we feel physically? Again, it's pretty clear to us, right? Like I have a lot of clients, they say, "Yeah, you know, I know I have control issues." <laughs> And they feel the anxiety. And so it's easier for us to see, yeah, you know what? There's something going on here in the unconscious that's generating this control issue. And I feel anxiety. All of that is on that mental and emotional side, right? That seems very obvious to us. So how is we are experiencing something physically starting on the mental and emotional side, right? That's like we talked about at the top. That seems impossible to us almost, right? So again, I want to challenge that. If we are in tremendous pain because of an unconscious belief, why would that not be physical pain?
1: Well, like I said, I think that it's easy for us to go to the stress thing. Like, well, I'm just stressed. So of course I have back pain or whatever. It's a little bit harder to go past just stress and connect to
0: migraines. I think it's just Well, and people too, they say, well, I'm stressed. So I'm clenching my jaw. Again, we're back in the physical, right? You can have physical pain and not a muscle be tight, right? You can have anxiety and have physical symptoms and not be clenching anywhere, right? Because people say this, I was asleep when the physical pain came on and I don't think I'm clenching while I'm sleeping right? You could be, right? But I mean, people kind of know, you know what, I this came on and no physical muscles were clenched. (laughs) But again, we always like, oh, well, it's the stress causing me to do something physical and then the physical is causing the pain. It doesn't have to be that way. And I know this through my own personal experience with my physically painful migraines and working with hundreds of women and seeing this play out time after time after time.
1: So I think we've like covered the connection really good, but I guess my next thought slash question is, you know, okay, we talk a lot about vitality draining and things like that. And all of these stressors and trauma are draining that vitality. And you said you don't have to go rehash your past and live through all the trauma again, right? So like I guess in my head I'm like, but then what do you do?
0: What do you do? (laughs) Right. Exactly. What is the magic, Leslie? So the belief in the unconscious that's generating the pain, mental pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain, that belief in the unconscious that's generating the pain, we think it's true. These girls in junior high told me I was disgusting, so I must be disgusting. That is the painful belief in the unconscious that seems true to us. Is it true? It is not. There is no human being that is disgusting as a human being. So what is health? Health is alignment physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. If we have a false belief that is out of alignment with reality, health is alignment. If we are out of alignment with reality, we are going to feel it. The nature of reality is structured this way. How else would we know that we are out of alignment with reality unless we had a signal? People can suffer. uh, Let's talk about something on the spiritual side, right? People lose a child. God forbid this happens. People can develop a belief. God hates me. God is punishing me. That would be, again, it feels true to us, but that would be a false belief. How else would we know that we are carrying around a false belief unless we had a signal? How else would we know that we are carrying around a belief that we, you know, that our face is physically disgusting because we were told that in junior high by the girls and we've been carrying that around and we've been fighting that for so long? How else would we know that we are carrying around a false belief unless we had a signal?
1: And it, like we always talk about, the signals can can very well be the migraines, right? That's your signal right there.
0: Correct. Just like how would we know if we have a nutrient deficiency unless we got a signal from the body? We've talked about this in other podcasts. I talk about this in my free training called "The Five Steps to Healing Migraines Naturally." Symptoms are signals. Symptoms are signals that are inviting us to take action so that we can feel better, right? How else would we know that we have something out of alignment physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually? How would we know unless we had a signal? (laughs) We would have no idea. And I personally believe, you know, the point of us being here is to move closer and closer to truth with a capital T. And there's a physical truth of the body. And I call these the first principle and the second principle. The physical truth of the body is that every cell in the body needs the nutrients that it needs to function. That's the first principle that we need to work on to restore our health. And another physical truth is our cells cannot be swimming in metabolic waste material that they generate that has to get out of the cell and out of the body. And that's the second principle, what I call the second principle, clearing metabolic waste material. And the third principle is restoring our resiliency and vitality. And our vitality is drained when we are carrying around untrue beliefs in our unconscious. They are by definition going to drain our vitality. And then all the things that we do to counter the pain that that belief is generating, all of those things that we do drain our vitality as well. You know, I have a a client, she picked up a false belief in her childhood that she was not normal. Again, it's under this umbrella of there's something wrong with me. I'm defective, broken, I'm not normal, right? I'm just, you know, it's under that umbrella. And so she put, as she described it, she put a tremendous amount of time into her appearance. Why wouldn't she, right? If you have the false belief that you're not normal, you're gonna make a lot of effort trying to look normal. And in our work together, she was able to identify that she was carrying this around and she was able to identify where she picked it up, right? Why did she pick this up? And then she was able to realize everything she was doing to try to feel normal and how heavy that was, how much work it was, how draining it was.
1: <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, honestly, the whole like normal is so subjective that you would always be like, oh, I have to chase this normal and that normal. And it depends on who I'm talking to. <laughs> like it just is, a, like I said earlier, a huge weight to carry, huge
0: Right. Yeah. You can never satisfy. You can never satisfy a false belief.
1: Oh, that is probably like the biggest
0: takeaway from today. I have to,
1: I mean, if we, if nobody hears anything else from this, I hope they hear that. You can never satisfy a false belief.
0: Yeah, you you cannot cope your way out of it. Again, I'm a guide. I cannot tell her this is what's going on, but I can guide her to her realization of this. And when she did this, I talked with her, it was a week or two later. And she said, you know, I went to the store without makeup on, right? I love that. What a relief. I wear makeup. I'm not having a judgment on makeup. I'm not saying that if you're healthy, you don't wear makeup. I'm. That's not what this is about. It's about her feeling comfortable as herself.
1: Well, and proving to herself her, that you're not, like, nothing horrible happened. It was... Like by going to the store without makeup, you could be your true raw self without any makeup and nothing actually went wrong. (laughs) Like I'm guessing (laughs) there's not part B to that story, right?
0: (laughs) She is the wonderful miracle that she is with or without makeup. I love that. And so when we really, when that's true for us, we can wear makeup. We can not wear makeup. We're not affected, right? It's not about the makeup. So... You can see, right, we start with a false belief that seems true to us, that causes us suffering. And where do we go from there? And this is where, you know, in other podcasts, I've been a little critical of the typical therapist, typical counselor, because people, right, they realize, yeah, you know what, I have control issues. I'm a perfectionist. You know, I can't sleep at three in the morning because I'm worrying about work. They realize, right, "This, this stuff that I'm doing is being caused by something. And I want to get to the root so that I'm not awake at three in the morning worrying. And they go into a counselor, into a therapist, and they are given coping techniques. And coping techniques as the solution, not as a short term, okay, let's get you through the day here while we work on what's in the unconscious, right, that's generating this spin. No, no, no. Coping techniques, period, full stop. This is what you do to cope. This is the equivalent of taking an Imatrex for your migraines.
1: Suppressing symptoms and stuff like
0: that. Suppressing it, right? Because the coping mechanism itself is there to suppress the pain that the unconscious belief is generating. And so the therapist is adding more coping mechanisms, adding more suppression on. It's just what your doctor is doing when you're going into the doctor. So it's one thing to take an Imitrax to make it through while you're working on correcting the underlying problems that are generating the migraine in the first place. It's one thing to have coping mechanisms while you're working on, okay, what's generating the control issue in the first place?
1: Interesting. I know a few control freaks, <laughs> as we lovingly like to call them. In my experience, trying to control things around you is usually a symptom of feeling so anxious that you have to do something in your environment to make that feel better. Like, I don't think your mother-in-law is actually trying to control you as much as she is trying to, like, get the anxiety in her life that comes from feeling like things are not in your control, under control. Poor mother-in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> you get such a bad rap. <laughs> I guess I have sympathy for him because being the mom of four boys, I'm like, there's no other option but being the mother-in-law. <laughs> That's true, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Like they, I don't know. I'm just still back to the thing of like, you don't have to dig up the past and you don't have to like, you know, just slap some coping band-aids on it, but you can have a profound impact on how you function and how you feel by identifying and addressing the underlying belief that you have.
0: I'm going to say this, too, before we close, I'm going to have another criticism, unfortunately, of a lot of counselors or therapists, a lot of people even kind of in the alternative medicine space that do this type of work, kind of like healers, you know, this type of thing. So just having people relive the trauma does not identify the unconscious painful belief. So just, you know, describing what you went through and reliving it and getting all worked up again and crying again in, in, in a fetal position, <laughs> that does not identify the unconscious painful belief that got laid down. So what I'm describing is something that's very intentional. We're going in with a specific intention. We're not gratuitously, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people who are attracted to being a therapist or quote-unquote healer type, you know, people that kind of do this type of stuff, whether it's a a therapist with a license or an unlicensed, you know, quote-unquote healing practitioner. A lot of times people go into that work because they want to hear the drama. There's something about hearing about other people's drama and trauma and suffering that energizes them.
1: I have a theory on that, but I don't know if in some ways I think that It's so much easier to deal with other people's problems than our own that it's like, I would rather like, it's almost, it's like almost a coping through, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my own problems on a shelf and not have to deal with them because I'm helping. (laughs) So it takes a huge amount. And you know, I'm going actually going into a field similar. So I'm seeing this with full awareness that I have to be very, very aware that I can't can't ignore my own issues and like just fix people around me because that's not going to help me or them.
0: You know, my own personal work, right? I can't guide somebody. I can't walk with somebody past the point that I have been myself. And so this has been, you know, other than my family, the biggest priority in my life is working through my false unconscious beliefs and the impact and the spin and the behaviors and the mental content, all these things that my unconscious painful beliefs generate in me, because I can't walk with other people further than I have already walked. And on the
1: flip side of that coin too, though, like there is no such thing as a perfect, never been through anything healer or practitioner or therapist. Like we have to go through stuff in order to be able to help others. So, it's a it's a very fine balance. <laughs>
0: it is. My painful unconscious beliefs have been the biggest gift of my life and allow me to do the work that I do. I'm grateful every day for the suffering they've caused me because that suffering motivated me. And now I have, you know, every day I get to help other people. I have a tremendous sense of purpose. So I'm grateful every day for the pain and suffering of that the unconscious false beliefs that I have picked up in my life, they've served me greatly because I've taken the action around them that I have. So I want people to think about this, right? This process, it's the mean between the extremes right we have one extreme where we're just papering over the false unconscious beliefs with coping mechanisms right we're trying we're just trying more things to suppress them and then we have the other side where we're just going over and over staying in the pain and the muck and everything else right with and that's it reliving it Right? Having and even worse, working with someone who is just kind of feeding themselves off of our trauma. This what we actually need to do is we need to be intentional, know what we're looking for, right? So that we're not going out of balance on either one of those sides. <sighs>
1: well, I think that was a doozy of a episode. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> we did. Y'all we need to go take a nap after that. So. <laughs>
0: Well, I guess we're done. guess we covered it.
1: We did, Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks again for joining me, Mary. Really appreciate you. Awesome. It was a good day. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.